Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 386. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florists Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 386. Our first sponsor spotlight is all about Northwest Green Panels. Based in Madras, Oregon, Northwest Green Panels designs and constructs a wide array of wood-framed greenhouses, offering versatility, style, and durability. Their greenhouses are 100% Oregon-made, using twin-wall polycarbonate manufactured in Wisconsin, making Northwest Green Panels a great value for your backyard. The 8-by-8-foot modern slant greenhouse has become the essential hub of my backyard and my cutting garden. Check out photos of my greenhouse in today's show notes or visit northwestgreenpanels.com to see more. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Arizona's Debbie Middleman of Me Viva Designs. So you'll, you'll hear more from her at the close of this episode. Our featured guests today are back for a second time. I always love inviting past guests to the Slow Flowers podcast so you can hear their next chapter. In April 2015, I invited Jenny Elliott and Luke Franco of Tiny Hearts Farm, based in Copake, New York, to share their story with us. Well, a lot has happened in the subsequent three-plus years, which makes me want to ask, is a flower farmer's three-year life more like a 30-year life for the rest of us? Seriously, what Jenny and Luke have accomplished is inspiring. I know it will be instructive to wherever you are in your business today. I first learned about Tiny Hearts from famed garden writer and podcaster Margaret Roach. You may recall that she was gardening editor and eventually editorial director for Martha Stewart Living Magazine back in its true heyday. Margaret had recently invited me to be a guest on her popular gardening podcast, A Way to Garden, to talk about slow flowers. She immediately and proudly shared that her own small Hudson Valley community, a few hours north of New York City, was home to a new specialty cut flower farm, Tiny Hearts. It was so nice to have that aha connection already made for Margaret, thanks to her knowledge of Jenny and Luke and their involvement in the local agriculture community of Copake. I'll be sure to share a link to that episode in today's show notes for those of you who missed it three years ago. Later, I got to meet Jenny in person at a Slow Flowers Hudson Valley meetup. What a wonderful experience to continue the conversation in person. And having Tiny Hearts join the Slow Flowers community was a bonus for me, even though we mostly keep in touch via social media. 
And of course, it was through social media that I learned of Luke and Jenny's more recent news for 2018, the birth of their second child and the birth of a new floral venture that we'll talk about today. Here's a little more about Jenny and Luke in a bio excerpted from their website's about page. Jenny Elliott and Luke Franco started what would become Tiny Hearts Farm in the late winter of 2011, when they were offered an acre of land in Westchester County, New York, to grow on. Jenny had been farming vegetables for four or five years at this point. After getting a master's in musicology and wondering what to do with it, Luke was, and still is, working as a jazz guitarist. Well, that land belonged to Dick Button, the Olympic figure skating gold medalist, and Jenny is a Winter Olympics fanatic, so it was clearly a good idea to start a farm there, even though they didn't own so much as a shovel. The first few years had its challenges, lack of water, fencing, equipment, and housing being among them, but they were able to start a small, organically managed, hand-scale vegetable and flower farm and saw a measure of success. Jenny and Luke quickly found a niche and love for the flowers, and they switched to growing flowers exclusively by their third year. The same year it became clear that they were quickly outgrowing their little farm. To grow the variety and quality of flowers sustainably that they envisioned, more space and better farm infrastructure was needed. In the spring of 2014, Tiny Hearts moved an hour and a half north to become part of the new Copake Agricultural Center. The move offered a lifetime lease on 15 acres, which is a big deal for flower farms. Many perennials are expensive to install and take years to establish, so you have to have that land security. It also included a house on the edge of the field, a barn for packing out orders, and four neighboring farms who quickly became the best support system. During their first two years there, Jenny and Luke invested in much-needed infrastructure, a greenhouse, a walk-in cooler, two tractors, and delivery vans. They now work with a team of four to six employees, all passionate about flowers, and invested in becoming great farmers and designers. Jenny and Luke say this, we're committed to our organic practices, to our staff and neighbors, to our community of customers, and to finding flowers that make us all happy and excited about the botanical world. As our farm grows, our goal is to become better and better growers of high quality, healthy for the land, healthy for people, flowers. So let's jump right into this conversation and be sure to visit deborahprinzing.com to find today's show notes filled with photos and links to all of Tiny Hearts Farm's social places. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so excited today to have return guests Jenny Elliott and Luke Franco of Tiny Hearts Farm in Copic, New York, in the Hudson Valley. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Luke. Hi. Hello. This hey, is, great to be here. It's <laughs> great to have you, and great to hear you, Luke. You were just reminding me that when I did this interview with you in 2015 that you had laryngitis. <laughs> so Jenny had yeah, to do it, all the it talking. it wasn't ideal. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like, whispering over my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, feeling much better now. I don't know if it's going to improve the interview or not. Hey, you've got, you have wonderful <laughs> radio voice. <laughs> Um, So I think I first learned about you um, through Margaret Roach when um, she had me on her podcast and told me about these amazing flower farmers in where she lived in the Hudson Valley. And um, and she just made me very curious to know who you were. And we we met virtually and then did did the interview. Um, Maybe we can fast. And by the way, I will put a link to that podcast in today's show notes uh, so people can... uh, 
do the Wayback Time Machine and hear that. Um, but give us a snapshot of Tiny Hearts Farm and <laughs> all your many facets that you have now. Maybe we'll do this and we'll bounce back and forth between Jenny and Luke. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, we are so lucky. Um, uh, when we last talked, we had just moved to a town called Copake, New York, which is up in Columbia County by the um, sort of the Massachusetts uh, border and the Berkshires. And we moved to this um, town uh, where this wonderful person, Margaret Roach, happens to also live. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she's been a great real farm uh, supporter. She's been a great friend and uh, ever since the first day we came up to town. So along with her, there was a, a community of uh, farms that um, – also sort of reestablished their businesses in Copic right at the same time and uh, helped us in our transition from a one-acre farm to um, a larger-scale farm. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, since we moved to Copic, we've been working on growing our production acreage. Um, we are at about 11 acres managed and with about seven acres in crops each season. And next season, we're uh, going to increase our uh, production um I'd say managed acreage <clears throat> to about 25 acres. That's crazy. All things going according to plan. Oh, my God. That's it, it's an interesting right? scale for... Yeah, it stimulates so many questions about how you're doing that. Uh, can we, we back up for one second and let me ask you, um, this land, it, is this some kind of um, farm trust? Or I can't remember the arrangement you have. Well, it's the it's called the Copake Agricultural Center. And um, it was... Um, it was a, a larger piece of uh, property that was purchased, about 120 acres, by a group of um, community investors mm -hmm. who uh, were interested in preserving the agricultural value of the land mm. and um, just sort of assuring that it wouldn't be, uh, you know, developed into uh, commercial or residential or anything. Mm -hmm. It's uh, really prime agricultural soils. So we're, mm. we're grateful for that project. And along with... Um, the group of investors, there was also um, a few different farms who kind of banded together to manage that acreage organically. So we are we were the smallest of the three farms initially with two other larger vegetable operations, um, MX Morningstar, our neighbor, and our other neighbor, Sparework Farm. This season, they're actually both moving off our field. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so we're finding ourselves having to... Um, uh, sort of deal with um, uh, all that means for us. We've been sort of farming in a collaborative way, at least sharing resources, equipment, and sometimes delivery routes, and even sometimes, uh, you know, crew members. Mm -hmm. So we're finding we're finding this year that we're going to have to figure out how to sort of stand on our own feet a little bit more. And we're also going to have a few new farm neighbors moving onto the field. So that's exciting too. We're going to be the old guy now. <laughs> so, so that there's sort of this, this natural progression that people maybe go through and, and the newer farmers coming on will maybe be candidates for sharing labor or sharing tools with you, right? Well, I think we benefited early on when we were hand scale from like uh, all the great uh, knowledge and support and technical assistance that our neighbors provided us. And we're looking forward to um, paying forward a little mm -hmm. bit where we can um, mm -hmm. and helping out our newer uh, farm neighbors um, to get their businesses, you know, established and off the ground at a larger scale as well. Wow. So this scale up and as it's progressed from one acre to now in the 20s, um, and you said managed, which, but then you also made a comment about planted, like there's some land that you leave fallow every year to to put cover crops on and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, so we've been the past uh, four, four or five years, we've been at about 15 acres managed, and then we're actually growing on about seven mm-hmm. each season. So even though we're making a jump to 25 acres managed next year, we're not that crazy. We're not going to grow, you know, all the crops or anything. We're going to be at about eight, maybe nine acres of growing. <laughs> yeah, that's still super <laughs> not- impressive. Uh, Jenny, is it all field grown or do you have high tunnels? What's your infrastructure like? Yeah, so we have um, we have a 30 by 50 heated propagation house where we start all our seeds and do cuttings and, and that kind of thing. And then we have a 30 by 120 foot um, heated high tunnel, mm, which wow. is full of anemones and ranunculus right mm. now. We just finished planting them like last week, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the construction phase is another 30 by 100 foot tunnel, um, which should be finished, we're hoping, by about mid-March. The frame is up right what now. Are you, what, are you, what are you going to dedicate that to? Yeah, weather permitting. <laughs> um, that's going to be sweet peas, poppies, mm. and snapdragons. Mm-hmm. Mm. Luca, Luca, I cut you off. You started to say something about that in the progress uh, house. Oh, geez. Um, last season, the weather conditions were just absolutely horrible. Um, we we started with a drought early season, and then once the rain started, it didn't stop all uh, summer and fall. Um, so we were we were aiming to have that tunnel finished, but it just got so wet out there we couldn't finish building it. So we had to push it to 2019. Mm, I see. Yeah, the farm the farm was a swamp from September on. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've heard about that from so many people in the Northeast. And um, did did you lose crops, or did you just have to deal with horrible conditions of mud farming? Yeah, I'd say, well, we did okay considering what we were dealing with. We plant into like a raised bed system, mm. and we always kind of question it because our, our, our fields are really well-drained. The soil is really well-drained. Um, and, and this year, there was no question that we need those raised beds. The, uh, the tire tracks were flooded like all the time. Wow. We did see like a lot more disease pressure and um, slightly lower yields, I guess. The big problem crop for us this year was our dahlias didn't mm. seem to be too happy. Mm-hmm. And I've heard that from a lot of other growers in our area that it was just not a great year for dahlias. Yeah. So how are you going to avoid that in 2019, given the fact that you can't predict the weather? Will you That's a plant? Good question. Will you plant? Will you? Will you? Because you obviously uh, dig up all your tubers in the fall and, and winter them over, yeah. right? We yeah. do. Yeah, I I think we were lucky to. Um, uh, well, we did get a good sort of crop. It just it came in really late, and mm. the yield was lower. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was like twofold, you know, early season, our dahlias sort of right when they went in and before they had a nice leaf canopy, they went through this drought period with like a really serious heat wave too, above, above 100 degrees or thereabouts. And um, I think we looked it up. Um, Swan Island had some uh, stuff online that this happened to them one year. It was called uh, like dahlia stunting. Mm. If the if the tubers get cooked before they have that leaf canopy, they have a hard time recovering from that. Mm. Got it. So I think this year we're going to experiment with uh, like overhead irrigation if we can um, use that to cool off the crops. If we happen to have the same type of weather pattern that we had last season, right, um, right. 
Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. And that is a big question for farmers right now is how do we plan? What do we do when the weather is so unstable and unpredictable? Year after year. Every season, we've been in Copake now for what five, five seasons, I think, and everyone has been markedly different. Hmm. <laughs> um, and that we were able to pull the yields out of the field that we did this season, uh, we definitely felt good about, but, but it is a little bit scary, like what's going to happen next year? Is it going to be another rainy year like this? We're going to be facing droughts, right? The year before, like we didn't have enough water, you know, right. it was just bone dry. So yeah, so we made tough. some decisions to solve the water problem. I think sometimes one of our strategies is to overplant a little bit for what we think we need for sales. Mm -hmm. And that, that way, if you have a low yield year, you still have the numbers as stems that you need for your, um, you know, different uh, uh, commitments. And if you have a, a great year, I think the problem becomes like, well, you might not be able to harvest all those flowers. Right, right. Um, so that's a good strategy. It's like a contingency yeah. plan. Also, I feel like that, you know, flower farmers have to just by nature wake up optimistic and just pivot if there's a problem, but just keep putting one step in front of the other. And I mean, I, I don't know if that's how you guys approach it, but you seem pretty positive and optimistic about what you're doing. So, yeah, there's nothing else to do, right? Especially <laughs> once the plants are in the ground, like you don't even think about it in the season. You just go, go, go. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, what Jenny was saying about the erratic weather patterns. Not much you could do about it. Mm -hmm. I think my my friend Matt said there, there's no joy in Mudville. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh my gosh. Yeah. But luckily, we can we can we we divide our skill sets really down the middle. Um, Jenny's like uh, great with sort of plants and and propagation and what the plants need and when they need it. She's really good at the things that are alive, and I'm better at the things that are not alive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. Um, <laughs> you mean like 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 so she, tra tractors and and tools and and I, computers. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh. I'm just like I you know typical sort of labor division. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I've been doing a lot of that kind of equipment, infrastructure, maintenance, yeah. things like that. And um, and then we split the responsibility of managing the farm and and the crew that we have and. Um, we kind of split the um, two major sales outlets of the farms, which is the wholesale route and the uh, weddings and events um, that we do. Yeah, let's, Jenny does the weddings and events, and we, I do the wholesale. Yeah, let's talk about those two channels, because um, I don't think that has changed much since we spoke in 2015, because Jenny definitely is wearing that farmer florist designer hat. And mm -hmm. when we spoke last, Luke, you were just starting to launch this wholesale route basically like how how do how do those two channels look now um both much bigger i think the the one um difference is since we last talked is that we're not doing farmers markets mm. anymore this past season was our first season where we didn't do any farmers markets wow that must have um, changed your life on the weekends right yeah it really did <laughs> it really did um so i think right now about um about a, a third of our business is in wholesale is that right still it's a uh, little more than that, a little less than half of the business is the wholesale. Okay. And about maybe a th another third of it is the wedding and events. And then the rest is um, 
our, our the, CSA. Mm. We opened. Uh, did we talk about the shop that we no, opened? No, we're going <laughs> to yeah. talk about it. We're gonna we'll talk, get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. That's the teaser. Yeah. Um, yeah. The okay. So the wholesale is um, not very local, right? I mean, you're you're not selling t- to many people who are other, like uh, outlets, uh, retailers, or florists in the Copic area. You're having to deliver well, flowers, I, right? I'd say that our um, our closest account is right in Copic. Oh, is a, cool. One little, um, new, new store. It's just a small uh, general store, and we have our flowers there. With a, uh, it's a lovely uh, new business. And then um, well, we have and some... That, and that's nice because then uh, those for- farmer's market customers have a place to go now to get your flowers. Sure, your, sure, your absolutely. Past customers, yeah. And then we have, um, you know, accounts up, you know, within maybe 20, 25 minutes of the farm. And then we do the Berkshires, the Hudson Valley. Then we go down to Westchester County and we also travel to New York twice weekly. Wow. Um, and last year we were, we were uh, doing a one day on a neighboring farm's truck to Boston. And uh, we want to continue to do that. No we have way. some logistics things to do. Yeah. That so is it crazy. was a pretty wide kind of um, reach that we had. Yeah, it keeps pack out pretty busy. <laughs> so <laughs> well, we have a lot of flowers to move. <laughs> yeah, right. So, how do these wholesale routes work, um, Luke? Are you do you have you must have a crew who is t- helping you with those deliveries? Right. Well, um, once we get everything packed out and in the cooler the night before, uh, we have usually a, a driver that's pretty close to full time mm. that's managing most of the deliveries for us. And um, when he can't do it, I fill in. Mm-hmm. You know, I I just think that there must be a lot of really happy florists who are, you know, especially down in Manhattan, Brooklyn area and Westchester, like craving your beautiful product. And the fact that you deliver is, is probably been a, a really sweet part of your, your success, even though it's probably expensive and time consuming. You just made the commitment to do it. And yeah, well, the thing that I like the most is... Um, I've heard this a number of times from a few different um, of our, you know, favorite uh, clients is that when they need something special, they come to us mm. <laughs> that they can't find on the market. Mm. And um, I, I really like the that idea. So um, it makes us feel good about what we're doing. Yeah, I think it has been huge for them, though, that we are delivering directly to the shop because getting flowers around in and around New York City is no picnic. Oh, I bet. Um, so that we just go right to them. It, it is it is tough. The logistics on our end are are difficult, but I think that's made a real difference that we go right to the shop. Do you send out an availability list um, and require them to pre-order, or are they just buying off the truck? No, most everything's pre-ordered. Okay. Yeah, which just um, it's hard to. I mean, we we try and cram the the van as as full as we possibly can, so it's. It's hard to make a lot of extra room for inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, also, but, our bottleneck is harvesting. Like it's, <laughs> you know, getting the flowers out of the field is one of the hardest hardest things. So we don't have, um, we never have time to pick anything that's not pre-ordered. <laughs> you're just like trying to fill those orders and get them on the van, on the truck exactly. or the van. Yeah. And exactly. your and your your Boston um, experiment. Uh, where are you delivering? Is that going to like a hub where people pick up, or how's that working? Well, that was interesting. It was just a partnership with a, another farm. Um, we've done it for a few years. It's Allendale and uh, Brookline, and um, they're, they're a large farm. I think the largest 
inside um, Boston city limits for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And they've had a CSA for a number of years and we do a flower add-on for their CSA. Wow. And the other cool thing is it's, it's managed by two um, buddies of ours. <laughs> so we're really happy to keep that connection. And they also have a farm store that um, they sell our flowers at their farm store as well. So do you see a situation where Boston, I might be opening a can of worms here, but like where a Boston wedding and event florist could order from you and go out to Brookline to pick up a special order? Or is that just too too complex to think about? I think we've done that a couple times. Oh, we certainly yeah. have done that for sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we're, we're pretty non-discriminating if somebody <laughs> wants to place an order. <laughs> you want to buy flowers? Yeah. <laughs> I'm frothing at the mouth thinking about it. Well, before we go on and talk about your new venture for 2018, I just want to get a snapshot of like what your crop mix is. You mentioned the dahlias. You mentioned ranunculus and anemones beginning the season i'm sure the dahlias kind of end the season but roughly how do you how do you adapt or you know add or expand what you're growing and and roughly how many varieties do you have oh gosh we have so many varieties (laughs) i was actually i'm in the crop plan right now and i'm like jen you have to cut 20 varieties this year (laughs) (laughs) tough love yeah, <laughs> because right. basically, um, basically, Jenny, you love every flower and you want to grow it all. It sounds like. Yeah, pretty much, mm. pretty much. Yeah, the, it and and I, I'll try. Like, I'm stubborn, so if something's not working out, I've tried to grow it for like four or five years before I finally cut it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we start our season with tulips. We do um, twenty thousand tulips every season, wow. and then um, going into the anemones and ranunculus, and then we do. Um, I, I would say the majority field-grown annuals, the way that our farm and fields are laid out, we have these long, flat expanses that have just led the um, – they're just perfect for, mm. for long tractor rows of annuals. Mm. So that's a big part of our business, Inia, Sologia, Gomphrina, Cosmos, all those kinds of things. Yummy. Um, Scabiosa, Snapdragons, like all – tons of annuals, and we're starting all the seeds um, for those ourselves – um, and then, yeah, the dahlias are a huge part of our farm. We did an acre last season. We're toying around with two acres this season. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Especially yeah, after, I'm, that, I'm getting, after I'm, that wet I'm, year, you want to kind of get your insurance policy going for this year. Yeah, like. kind of. And we also, because we had a baby and um, another baby in the uh, late May, the dahlias went in a month later than they normally do. Mm. And so um, we had great dahlias into late October. And so now we're thinking of doing like two successions of them also. Right. <laughs> That's a good idea. Wow. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Right we'll when all those I'm, fall... I'm just getting used to saying two acres of dahlias. <laughs> right when all those fall weddings are happening in, in October where, you know, you're like the hero by just having anything in bloom that people can design with. Yeah, and just to have another strong flush of them. You know, usually if you plant them as early as you can, which we do because we want them as early as we can, they're starting to get a little bit weaker stems and a little bit smaller flower heads um, by October. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so the second succession would help us, like, keep them strong um, for the whole length of the season. You know, actually, and then I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever heard anyone talk about succession planting dahlias before. This is real. I really think this would be yeah, a cool either. story. We should, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you'd plant like what, roughly like a May and then maybe six weeks later, like late June or? I, th- I think we would do like early May and then early to mid June. Okay. 
Sounds okay. like a good plan. Is, is what, what the idea is. Okay. Yeah. You, we'll you, let you know how it goes. Yeah, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. That's really cool. Yeah, um, we've been experimenting with dahlias at scale. Um, mm-hmm. We're getting excited. We're going up to this um, conference in Maine. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about the Flowering in the North yeah, conference. Yeah, you're speaking at that this um, week, right? About dahlias. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I really <laughs> so, wanted to come out to that. I did just send a, uh, a, a box of goodies um, uh, out to Stacy, so she'll have uh, some giveaways to welcome you guys there. But uh, it is—it's nice. going to be great for people to hear from farmers who are in their same zone and kind of. While you're not coastal, you've got yeah. a lot of similarities, right? I'd say it's like yeah, been maybe the most um, sort of relevant information for our specific farm that we found. Um, you know, from a conference or otherwise, it's mm. been great. That's awesome. Well, oh, I hope that goes well. Wish I could be there. Um, okay, uh, Jenny, uh, uh, we mentioned a couple babies, so you've had a lot on your plate. <laughs> what your so your old your first child is like about three now, is that correct? Almost, yeah, he's okay. two and a half, three. Okay, yeah, and the new one is uh, eight. Eight months almost. Okay. And then you decided you would also open a retail shop in 2018. <laughs> yeah, why not? I saw I saw <laughs> that on, on I saw that shop. I saw that on Instagram and I immediately messaged you like, oh my God, let's get you on the podcast. And you have been putting me off for months because your plate was so full, understandably. So it's been a little busy. Yeah. So tell us about it. it. Is it called I know on the website it says it's your Hillsdale shop and studio. Is that the location? It is in Hillsdale, which is just about eight minutes north of the farm mm. in Copake. Mm-hmm. And we're just, uh, we didn't name it anything special. It's just Tiny Hearts Farm. We just call it the flower shop or mm-hmm. the studio. <laughs> um, <laughs> we opened it in May of this year. Um, it opened on May 5th. The baby was born May 31st. Oh, so my goodness. That was um, Adventure a summer. fun way to start the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, May Day was actually a, like a Tuesday or Wednesday, so it didn't <laughs> work out for our opening, but fifth is pretty good. Yeah. You got good. in before Mother's Day. I'm one. sure that was a priority, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And we just wanted to open it in the spring when we had our first flush of flowers so that we could get the whole season of flowers through the shop. Mm. So, Jenny, what prompted this? Because I know that uh, you're know, hearing that it's also a studio. I, I'm imagining it's very important to have this space for your own wedding clients and wedding projects. Were you just doing that on the farm um, in a different, maybe less visible space before? Yeah. So we have a barn on our farm that we do our wholesale pack out through. And we were also doing all of our wedding design out Mm. of there. And And everything else. And everything else. Yeah. Yeah. All the storage for all the equipment and everything was in there. Um, so you, kind of just outgrew, we, you just kind of outgrew it then, it sounds like. We outgrew it, and every time we had a wedding, we had to totally reconfigure the space, and it was a dirty farm barn, so keeping white ribbon white was just impossible. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. there were a lot of challenges. The light was pretty bad, so to make sure that we were making the bouquet with the right colors, we'd have to run outside every so often yeah. <laughs> and, like, look at the flower colors. Um, so, so this has been a, a huge upgrade. We have a, a front showroom um, with these beautiful 16 foot tall ceilings. And then there's a whole separate room off the back that's um, got great lighting and a floral cooler and the most wonderful huge sink um, (laughs) and a bunch of uh, design tables and and everything. Um, So it's been, and we have a whole basement downstairs for storage of extra vases and all the ribbon and everything. So So how did you, how did you, okay. Once you kind of said we need more space, 
Did you start shopping around for a studio with with the retail not being a consideration, or did you intentionally say, let's find a space that works for retail and design? So we weren't looking for a space at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, our, our landlord, um, Matthew White, he owns several businesses here in Hillsdale. Um, he's, he's bought some of the buildings and redone them and put beautiful businesses inside mm. of them. Mm-hmm. And he asked us about three years ago if we would be interested in opening a flower shop in Hillsdale. To which we said, absolutely not. Are you insane? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And he kept asking. (laughs) Um, He asked us for a couple of years and then um, I think figured it was going nowhere and kind of laid off. Uh, And then uh, in, in, I don't remember, in, in the spring maybe, a year and a half ago, I had way too much coffee and I texted him and said, hey, is this flower shop thing still a thing? <laughs> and, and did Lu- I Luke, did you know from, she did that? that text? <laughs> I, I kind of knew. Yeah. I, think I, I think I asked you after just, I sent the text. Just for the record, that's how the farm started, too. You it's, know? True. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we should say like he's a, a very like uh, accomplished interior designer mm. um, and exterior, too, I guess. But um, the building is an old building that had been in town. Um, it's historic. But uh, one of the main problems was they found the foundation to be unsound. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a crack and it couldn't be saved. So they ended up knocking the building down and rebuilding it to look the same as historic photographs. Oh, wow. Um, so it's still, it's still, you know, it's like sort of what the town was, but it's an improved version. We're really happy about that. So inspired by like turn-of-the-century architecture of a, of a little storefront yeah in a- i think it's like upstate greek revival mm. the sort of the style mm-hmm. of the building will you share some photos so i saw the ones on your website and i've seen them on your instagram feed but will you share a few photos that we can put on the show notes so people can see what the little what this shop looks like oh yeah, absolutely sure love to uh, it's so cool so you've you your dream landlord found you the dream spot and then um you, I, I mean, it's just, it just sounds like a wonderful situation to move product um, while also um, getting, you know, being able to handle the volume of weddings you're doing. I mean, it just, it's not, I don't know, it's sort of you kill two birds with one stone there. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, when we're in here working <laughs> on weddings, you know, the shop is open and we're also running up and helping customers and having CSA pickups here. And mm. and it's a really, um, really busy spot, like on, on Thursdays and Fridays when we're when we're doing that. And Jenny, are, are you keeping regular retail hours or how are you kind of conveying that to the marketplace? We are. Yeah, we just did Thursday through Saturdays mm-hmm. um, this season, just trying to feel it out. And um, and and I don't know, I think we're going to add Sundays on this season. Um, but we found that having limited hours was also like a good way to tell people about what it was that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Because you can't come in here and buy red roses. You can't come in here and buy, you know, anything off season. <laughs> and so some, you know, people have been a little bit confused, like, wait, I thought you were a florist shop. And we have to explain that, like, really, we're a glorified farm stand. Um, and all the flowers are, are, you know, seasonal and local and organically grown. Yeah. Um, Eight miles away. Yeah. Unlike most farm stands, if, if, Jen, if Jenny and I, you know, planned the building, we'd have a lot of hay bales and um, you know, bulb <laughs> crates and pallet wood. 
it's a really beautiful space. Mm. And um, I think it's it's been really great to sort of have a space that elevates all the beautiful flowers that we're bringing out of the field. Um, it just presents everything in just the best possible way. Yeah, it's really, it's, uh, it's classy in here. Yeah, that's a re- <laughs> but, but Luke, that's a really good point because I continually hear from farmers who are frustrated because while they may offer a design services uh, targeting weddings and events, they are always up against this impression that the, your flowers must be cheaper because they're just from a farm. And you're bringing those, and I don't know if you've run into that, but like your environment that you're selling them in is, is deserving of those flowers. And the, you know, that is an elevation. I mean, we should say like all flowers are just from a farm. It just happens (laughs) that some of those farms happen to be one, you know, halfway across the the globe. Yeah. Um, And they're factories, they're big corporate farms. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and it comes down to, you know, shipping and growing practices and everything. Um, we just like, uh, I guess, I guess we both share this, Deborah, about um, a commitment to local flowers mm-hmm. and, um, you know, using seasonal materials that that can be grown close by, and they're not of lesser value mm. as a result. And we can grow some really beautiful stuff. Mm. Yeah, I love we're also it. lucky. I think that we're we're in a we're in a spot in New York where the community really values its farms, um, and they really appreciate their farms, they love their farms and they, they want to keep their farms around. And so we've found a lot of support, um, just for that reason. And then also just to go back to, you know, like showcasing the flowers, I will say with, with weddings and brides, it has made all the difference in the world, having this beautiful spot, as far as the perception of what mm-hmm. our flowers are and our mm-hmm. services. Cause if you have a consultation <laughs> at the farm, you're, you're pulling up next to our muddy pickup <laughs> And like maybe kind of like pulling your car in between the tractors and you better be wearing muck boots and you're coming into our barn um, for the consultation. And for some brides, that's perfect. It's like exactly what they want. Right. But for others, they get nervous Mm -hmm. Um, and having this like beautiful retail space um, that they can walk into instantly, I think, um, makes them trust us more, like gives us some legitimacy. Yeah, Um, sure. It's like so, going to so a that's... salon or some kind of atelier or something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, it really presents like what the idea is of what we're doing in, in a great way. Mm. But I think the core kind of value of the business and one that we're trying to really hold on to um, as we navigate this new kind of terrain of a retail flower shop, just commitments to our growing practices and mm-hmm. how we source our product and, um, and everything and, else. Yeah. And also kind of, you're in this place that values community and this is yet another kind of way to engage community and to create connections with um, your neighbors. And I, I think that's really why it's so inspiring to see that happening in what could be considered a small town. It's, it's really interesting. Um, just a lot of people um, speak about, you know, our um, need to connect to farms and, mm-hmm. uh, re, you know, reconnect to our food systems, reconnect to where our, you know, our flowers are sourced and stuff like that. The, the interesting thing that we found when we opened up this space was that it helped to reconnect us to the community that we serve. Mm-hmm. Um, just as farmers, you can sort of get lost in that and be a little bit isolated in what you're doing. Um, and it's just really nice to have this public space for us to com- you know, connect with our, our customers, CSA members, um, people coming in for classes and just sort of sh- 
share this, um, you know, uh, this whole uh, thing that we're doing. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, where were people getting their CSA uh, pickups prior? Just uh, at your farm or another drop-off place? Yeah, it was at, at the farm mm -hmm. um, in this junky old floral cooler um, <laughs> that we got for free when we started. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the town that the farm is in, um, there's there's not much there. There's not much draw. So just being in the next town up the road where um, people are already has, has really helped. Interesting. Our, our CSA grew, geez, how much? Like a lot. <laughs> wow. A lot this year. Wow. Yeah. So how are the two of you balancing all of this? I mean, this is when I, when we met and by phone and did the pod podcast in 2015, I mean, I portrayed you as a musician, Luke, and, and I portrayed <laughs> Jenny as a farmer. And now you have, like, like you said earlier, we have two businesses, at least maybe three. And <laughs> <laughs> did the, did you have to put your music on hold, Luke, or are you still being able well, to do that? You know, I'm still, once a musician, always a musician. Mm -hmm. I found that once we had the second baby and open the shop this season, things got a little overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, you know, I, I always look at it as a look at it as a balancing act. And I feel like the scale has tipped a bit towards the farm direction. Yeah. Um, the past year, for, for sure. Now. For now, at least, yeah. But you've got two small children, and they're only going to be that way for a little while. And that's pretty important for me to. Um, be there and be part of it. So I know that when, when I'm ready, um, you know, music and, and, and my guitar and stuff are not going anywhere. So, um, <laughs> we'll get right back on just like riding a bike. Yeah. Yeah. And Jenny, you also had a background in music, didn't you? I did. I went to school for music. Yeah. I didn't mean to diminish I, that. Oh no, no, it should be. Once I started farming 12 years ago, I, I pretty much, you know, put down the guitar and picked up a hoe and it stayed that way. <laughs> Do you do you sing while you're uh, while you're hoeing? Yeah, yeah, I do. Which is I still a have it. What's a better fallback career, music or farming? I don't know. Right, right. Two Good highly. Prospects. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're both very creative, and um, I just love how you've woven together um, all these opportunities to create a wonderful, you know, life for raising kids in a small town and being part of a community, but also having consumers and customers in the larger Northeast New York and Boston markets that will value the cost of the flowers and, and respect that they're supporting a local farm. I mean, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice picture that you're painting. And I know it's not all, you know, butterflies and ribbons. It's like, <laughs> I know the, you've mentioned the mud. I get it. Um, but I like, I, I think it's encouraging. Well, I think about it often about. <laughs> Go ahead. The, you know, the sentiment behind like um, flowers and flower giving um, or, or even just keeping flowers for yourself, there's always meaning behind them. Um, people use flowers to communicate things that they have a hard time saying in words. Mm -hmm. But I love what you said uh, about just the meaning of flowers and how, you know, it's it, it's it's like holy work that you're part of that cycle in in your in in your craft and in your. In, in your commitment to the way you farm. And um, it's just has a ripple effect that sometimes you don't even know about, I'm sure. It's nice, you know, we found something that we can do um, um, and we both feel really good about the work mm -hmm. we're doing. So mm -hmm. um, it's nice to have that. Mm. 
Well, I'm dying to visit you. I'm just don't know when that's going to happen. But um, tell me what your what your open your open season is at the store. And just I'd like to know for people listening that if they maybe make the trek up to check the website first to make sure you're open, right? Yeah, yeah. We keep our hours posted on the website and on Instagram. Um, but we're open, you know, as soon as those tulips start popping, usually late April, and then we'll be open um, through about the second week of December. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So you just yeah, have this- a, enough time off to get a, to get everything in the ground and get, you know, get planting for the following season. Yeah, we're finding that now with the shop and the greenhouses that we're really just working and farming year-round now. We used to work seasonally and now, um, yeah. now it's it's just it's all the time. It is quieter in the winter still, but mm. um, yeah, we've we've made a, a full time business out of it that, for sure. That's amazing. Well, and having two little ones, so it's that's the other whole job you both have. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> what are your? What are you have a boy and a girl? Is that right? Two boys. Oh, two boys. Two what are, boys. What are their names? Uh, George and Saint Clair. Saint Clair's the baby. Mm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, maybe, I don't know if you show photos of them online or not, but um, I'd love to, I just, congratulations. I'm really happy for you. Thanks. They're pretty <laughs> cute. <laughs> yeah. And I should say that we have um, Luke's mother for most of the season. Is, Hi, mom. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> Sue. Is with us um, full time for childcare. Oh my gosh. What a blessing. Is a question we're asked a lot is how in the world do we get it all done with the kids and and uh, Nana, Nana is the answer to that one. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'd like to say we're not overstepping any boundaries, but we definitely are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, when you said it was important to have, you know, make adjustments in your music career so you can be uh, with your kids, I'm sure that from a grandparent's point of view, it's a real special opportunity to have that kind of relationship that many people don't have. Uh, mm-hmm. with a distant grandparent. So that's, you know, kid. that's what I keep telling her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and then, uh, no, you must, very, very lucky. Yeah. And you do have employees. So do, can you just touch on roughly like what your full-time versus seasonal, um, configuration is, uh, at the farm? Yeah. So we have about, um, four to, f- uh, let's see. Well, there's <laughs> us full-time and then about four full-time employees, from April through late November. Mm-hmm. Um, and along with that, we've got about two to two to three part-time employees. And then we also bring in freelancers for big wedding weekends. Mm-hmm. Driver. And the driver. <laughs> and Nana. Yeah. Wow. We're finding that we need, we need a little help running the shop as well, too. So that might be a new addition this yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, um, I was going to ask you what's on tap for 2019, but I think what's on tap is just maintaining, right? And like fine tuning and, and coming up with systems that you maybe want to improve on. I mean, it's, you've got a lot on your plate. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. We're, um, we're looking forward to this year because we do feel like we can focus on the growing more this year. You know, we're not having a baby, we're not opening a shop. Um, so we can put our attention back on the plants again. One thing we're excited about is that we're, um, finally, it's the last of our five year goals that we have to make. Um, this is year five. We're finally installing a woody perennial planting this spring. So Yeah, we're excited about that. But otherwise, yeah, it's just focus on the crops and and keep Mm. growing better Mm -hmm. and better. Well, the woody and perennials, you know, one would argue that that could have gone in for year one. But, you know, who has the money to do that in year one, right? 
who has the money and who has the time and also stepping on stepping onto that land it was just wide open acreage no roads no fences no nothing and we had to totally create that and so just um it it's taken this much time to figure out where can those go mm. and we'll be happy with them in that spot for and be, years and years and years we and be like be kind of protected is that kind of part of the issue that they're yeah, it's up near the front of the farm um, where we'll always have an eye on them. Um, we don't really have much space that's protected at all. We're very windy. Yeah, we actually, are. I think they they may be able to provide a little protection to some other crops. Yeah, yeah. I think they can become you know, Jenny mentioned break. the word installation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, over the past five years, we've, like, sort of come up with so many processes and systems to manage a farm of this scale. And I feel like if we jumped right in with the um, woodies, we might have made some long-term mistakes that would have been hard to undo. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got a really good plan for how to install them, how to deal with all the things like aisles and weeds and um, watering and stuff. That's so great. I think we're ready. That's <laughs> we're doing ex- it. That's <laughs> exciting. Yeah. yeah, that's exciting. And that'll be that'll just enhance your what you offer to clients greatly in the future because you you already also as a designer know yeah. what pe- what you need uh-huh. sure yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's going to fill some gaps for sure uh-huh. that's awesome well i have been so i just feel i'm so happy i have a big smile on my face getting to catch up with the two of you and hear how wonderful um this balance <laughs> this juggling act is working <laughs> at least most <laughs> days um thank you so much for telling us uh, the, the update of Tiny Hearts Farm. And uh, I know that people who haven't um, heard the earlier podcast will want to go back and hear that and check out all the photos that you're going to share with me and follow you on social media. So um, thank you so much, Jenny and Luke. I've really enjoyed this. I'm just glad we finally got it on the calendar to, to do this recording. <laughs> Thanks so yeah, much. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for everything you're doing with the uh, podcast. We really enjoy it. Oh, you bet. You bet. I, <laughs> I'm glad we did this. And um, here's to 2019. <laughs> it's all potential now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Good to talk. Yeah. Okay, bye. for joining my conversation with Luke Franco and Jenny Elliott of Tiny Hearts Farm. Slow Flowers podcast episode 386 originally broadcast on Wednesday, January 30th, 2019. I'm 100% inspired by the many ways this tiny endeavor has grown and matured and I can't wait to visit the Hudson Valley to see their farm, flowers, and shop in person. Our second sponsor spotlight is Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. And now... 
Let's meet Debbie Middleman of Miviva Designs, a custom floral design and photography studio in the Phoenix area, who shares an Arizona floral spotlight with us. And visit today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com to see photos of Debbie, her floral designs, and her beautiful floral photography, as well as links to her social places. Today, I'm so excited to talk with Debbie Middleman of Me Viva Designs, uh, based in Arizona. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm great. Well, we've met each other in Washington State and in Arizona State, so it's good to get on the line and, and hear your voice. Oh, it's so nice to hear from you. And I am so pleased that you're giving me this opportunity to speak a little bit about what I'm doing here in Arizona and about the wonderful uh, opportunities that I've had in connecting with people who are growing flowers locally uh, in the Phoenix metropolitan area and in northern Arizona. Um, and, you know, these are all opportunities that you have, have helped me uh, find, and I really appreciate that. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, I mean, it is so much... Uh, um you know, as much as we live on social media and rely on databases and directories, it's really the human connection that that kind of makes this relevant and meaningful. Um, I couldn't agree more. In fact, we met at the Whidbey Flower Workshop a couple years ago. And so thanks to Toby Nelson for uh, bringing us together um, at that well, wonderful I, I love experience. Toby. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry to step on you there. I, I, I love Toby and that workshop was a defining moment um, yeah. in both my life and my career. Mm. Um, as far as the educational opportunity and the time to uh, spend with these incredibly creative people from across the country um, and to work with master teachers and to learn from you about what was going on, what is going on with the Slow Flowers Movement mm. and to hear the manifesto that you created and the um, the, the, the entire uh, focus that you have on promoting locally grown flowers, on promoting community within the florists and farmers community and everyone else who's involved in the um, process. And it was just eye-opening. And I, I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to go there. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about Me Viva Designs. Give us a snapshot of you, your creative business and um, kind of where you are right now in in that uh, space, in the local flower space. Okay. Um, well, I am proud to say that this year I became an Arizona certified master florist, having completed the certification through the Arizona State Florist Association. Um, but I actually started my journey as a florist um, probably about 10 years ago. Um, I My husband uh, was very generous with gifting me with flowers, but they were so often the roses from the supermarket. And I was trying to better my photography skills and I wanted some other types of things to work on. And from there, it's just grown over time, um, first starting as a hobby as I was trying to improve my uh, photography skills and then trying to improve my design skills. And then I decided that I wanted to pursue this as a business, and I've continued to work on my growth as an artist in, in both of those fields. Um, I am a full-time lawyer, so <laughs> this is a side hustle for me. <laughs> so you got your left, left brain, right brain thing going on really well there. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, but I've always been a, a sort of sublimated artist at heart. Um, I 
studied art history in college. I studied calligraphy in college um, as part of my American studies major at the time when I couldn't decide what it was that I wanted to do. <laughs> and then um, I, I did go full-time into litigation, and um, it's just been more recently um, as I've proceeded through my career that I decided that I really want to develop this uh, focus on um art and um, figuring out how to marry all of the things that I really love. And flowers is top of that list. Mm. Well, flowers, uh, it seems such a creative expression for a designer, but then you're taking it to the next level and using photography as an art form that kind of enhances and documents uh, everything that you're involved in uh, as a designer and capturing beautiful photos. Uh, and, and you shared some with me that I'm, I'm going to use in our show notes for today's episode so people can get a glimpse of, of some of the work, work that you've done design-wise and then photographing it. Right. And, and I should point out that the um, photographs that I sent to you are all based on work that I've done um, with local growers over the past uh, several months. I think mm. these are all 2018 photographs. Um, Ann Jensen of Ann E's Garden Fresh grows the most luxurious garden roses, mm. uh, herbs, foliage, and and other um, other flowers as well. But you know, primarily her garden roses are just so lush and beautiful. And I met her through um, your connection with Slow Flowers. What when you came down here for the class? That, yeah, um, she was. And, you know, you suggested that I give her a call at one point, and I'm so glad that I did. She turned out to be a wonderful friend, and she's just an amazing grower. Um, and then other uh, people who are growing locally are uh, Emily Heller. Um, she's just renamed herself as Bene Vivendo, and she's uh, growing edible flowers and beautiful yes. foliage. Um, Anne Kerr of Black Kerr Farm in the Phoenix area. Um, is producing just amazing um, cosmos and zinnias I've gotten from her in the past year. Um, but she also grows lisianthus and beautiful foliages. And then uh, Shanti Raid and, and um, Lindsay Statler are up in northern Arizona, right. uh, and they're just doing incredible work um, year-round. I, I just saw that um, Whipstone Farms is, is producing anemones right now in January, so that's pretty awesome. It's like you're you're all together, and I've met all these wonderful people that you've talked about on my various trips to Arizona. You're all like defying the conventional wisdom that you can't grow flowers in Arizona because it's desert or something. Like it's just amazing, uh, you know, what perceptions people have, and then what the reality is is this lush, gorgeous palette that uh, you've expressed in these photos. Um, that's so true. Before I moved here um, in 1981, my perception was that Arizona was a sandy desert, kind of like the Sahara, and mm -hmm. it's not like that at all. Um, we obviously have uh, very different climates, though, throughout the state, because in northern Arizona, it's much more mountainous, and uh, there are evergreens. And then as you move to the other areas, like Phoenix metropolitan area, for instance, or Tucson, you do have arid desert with a lot of cactus. And so it does take work to figure out how to uh, garden uh, and farm sustainably and to have a reliable water source. And, you know, to deal with the extreme heat that we experience in the summer um, is obviously a major problem for people who are trying to grow successfully. And I think that's probably one of the difficulties that local growers have in, uh, you know, being able to provide a reliable 
source of materials right. to year-round forests. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really interesting thing. And, and, you know, as I am not a grower, I can't really speak to all of those challenges, but I've certainly become aware of them um, as a result of my, you know, continuing work in the, in the field. Right. And I, I had, Shanti was on the podcast a couple years ago from Whipstone. So I think I'll put a link to that in today's show notes too. So people can go back and listen to her discuss some of these issues. Some of them relate to when is wedding, you know, what is Arizona's wedding season? And, you know, it, it's certainly not summer. It's usually like a spring and fall or like when there's demand for, and this is total generalization, but in the wedding industry, just because of the time of year when it's more advantageous and pleasant to have have a, a wedding maybe outdoors, right? Right. That's absolutely true. And I believe that our prime wedding season here is from October through um, April, yeah. perhaps. But, you know, Octobers have been 100 degrees here and Aprils have been 100 degrees here. So even on the edges of that, it's sometimes kind of dicey. Yeah. Well, Debbie, you're doing a lot of um, uh, community-based or like special event or fundraising um, charity type of design work, but I don't, I know that's not everything you do. Can you talk a little bit about where you find, where you see yourself in the, in the floral marketplace and maybe where you want to grow to? Oh, sure. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, to tell you about that, uh, happened after the Whidbey workshop in 2017 was that I took a drive um, across the entire island to get back into Seattle. And as I was driving over the Deception Path Bridge, just taking in the experience of the past few days where I got to work with such amazing creative people. And I thought to myself, how do I continue this, this, high, this exhilaration and, you know, move this education piece forward. And I thought, well, maybe I could try a workshop. So Mm -hmm. I envisioned um, a workshop. I met Stephen Hong Elder again through Slow Flowers at that time um, in Albuquerque. And I reached out to him and he helped me create a workshop that we did in Santa Fe um, several months later. And that experience was really exciting. Um, There you know, growing these most beautiful flowers in, in Albuquerque. He sourced all these flowers for me. And it was really fun. Um, but I realized that that's a lot of work. And I didn't necessarily want to do workshops out of town. Um, I keep seeing that there are people who are bringing together um, master designers and educators in wonderful places. And I want to be able to support that um type of experience, um, if there comes a time when I can develop a workshop and bring people to Arizona and focus on the local flowers that are available in Arizona, I would like to be able to do that again. Yes, we want you to. I will help you promote that. That sounds exciting. (laughs) That would be great. That would be great. And you'll have a a photography component, of course, right? (laughs) Of course. Of course. So, um, yes, I mean, to be able to uh, continue uh, to promote education is a big thing for me. I uh, also, as, as you, you pointed out, I do have a really strong background in um, community involvement. And as a lawyer, one of the obligations that we have is to do pro bono work. And I've always been passionate about that involvement as well. But I see that there's a business side 
to being a florist. I belong to a lot of florist groups. I see what the problems are in the industry. Um, I don't think it's fair that florists are devalued for their work or that growers are devalued for their product. And I would really like to be able to promote the value of uh, everyday flowers, mm. uh, not just as a luxury, but just as as local everyday flowers. And I'm still trying to find a way uh, to do that. Mm. So mm-hmm. when I when I worked with Anne in May, um, we did the flowers for this networking luncheon uh, in Tempe, and that was an opportunity to promote the beautiful work that um, that they're doing here in in Phoenix. I mean, those were like literally around the corner, locally grown flowers. Right. Oh, were people? And what was the response of, of the attendees? It was amazing. It was it was really wonderful. And you know, that's another thing. I think as a business person, um, it's so hard to figure out how to uh, capitalize on a on a on an event sometimes and to uh, keep that momentum going. So. I'm I'm trying to revisit that event and figure out what could I have done better to have actually, um, you know, put more attention on the work that the, that the growers did mm-hmm. because it, Anne and I designed together. So we did those together, um, but all of the flowers came from her and, and Anne and Emily. And um, it's just, it's a lot sometimes to figure out how to do everything that, you think that you should be doing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, but being conscious of it, I like, you're right. You'll have another chance to, um, you know, do something similar. And I mean, one of the things that I've tried to do whenever I have a chance is, you know, maybe ask the program, ask that on the program, there's a list of the farms that are featured or like have a place card or, you know, something like that, or up on the, on the PowerPoint screen, it's, it's, you have to be super intentional because no one else is asking those questions. Right. Right. And, and we did do that. I mean, we, we oh, were that's great. basic about it, but then, you know, how much, um, how much time do you spend on Instagram? How much time <laughs> do you spend on Facebook? And, you know, I mean, those are really the questions of our day, right? Yes. Um, yes, they are. You know, in, in terms of connection and promotion, um, but I have made some wonderful connections and friends through social media, uh, people that I might not have met in real life otherwise. But right. there comes a time when, you know, we, we have to ensure that we have um, true in real life connections. <laughs> um, yeah. Because, you know, the, the, you, you, first of all, when you, also again, from a business standpoint, you can't count on social media to be there for you or certainly not free social media. Right. Um, and, and then you want to so. get time in the studio so you can actually be with your flowers. <laughs> uh, and right. uh, how do you fit that into your, into your Monday through Friday uh, obligations as an attorney? Are you designing like weekends and evenings or how do you juggle it all? Um, well, I, I have had to be very selective about the jobs that I take Mm -hmm. and I make sure that it's something that I can do on the weekend. So I, I I have done things at night after my legal job. Um, but oftentimes I'm doing the photography on the weekends. Um, I like to be able to pick up my flowers, let's say on a Friday afternoon and then be able to deliver them on Saturday, put them all together and Mm -hmm. deliver on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So I have a really beautiful um, space in my home. I've taken over a, 
as my studio and I can do my flowers there. Um, I have set up for my photography there and it's been wonderful. Um, but I'm also looking to expand my, um, my work. And so to figure out where to invest, uh, you know, in new equipment, uh, whether to invest in a cooler, whether to invest in more space or space mm-hmm. outside my home. I mean, mm-hmm. those are all considerations for next year, too. <laughs> um, but right now, it's, it's worked. Uh, I, I keep it small. I call it a micro-business. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you have to start somewhere, and uh, creating opportunity for oneself is, is the way to get things done because yeah. nobody's going to tap you on the back and say, oh, I'm your fairy godmother. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, right. It's like you've created this life for yourself that is fulfillment, fulfilling uh, artistically, and it's not your, not, you know, your, your full-time job, but you may someday be able to give it more time, and you would never get to that point if you didn't, didn't start now. So I guess that's the other exactly. thing. Is we all hold ourselves mm-hmm. back from making the leap, but you made the leap, I, and I really love that you did that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you you have played an enormous role in that uh, <laughs> well, because you've, you've made me so aware of, of all these things that I otherwise never would have considered. And so I really appreciate uh, getting to know you and the opportunity to connect with other people in the Slow Flowers movement. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you again in Minnesota this year. And uh, yes. it'll be great. I'm so glad you're coming to the summit. That will be wonderful. And, um, you know, I, I'm really glad that we're doing, I'm just, I don't know why I didn't do this state-by-state focus earlier, but it, this is a, going to be a wonderful year of conversations, just putting a face and a voice to uh, what's happening you know, all across the country in different zones with different styles, with different types of, of flowers that can grow and different aesthetic. And so thanks for agreeing to be part of it. You kind of took a leap on this and uh, we're making it up as we go along. So I appreciate yeah. you, you doing that. Debbie, before we go, to give me like one more uh, thing that you're, you know, you're excited about for 2019. I know you've got a lot on your plate. Um, I am very, very excited about promoting local ceramic artist whose work I love. Mm. Uh, I am collecting uh, ceramics by an artist in Tucson uh, whose work I love. And then in some of the photos that are on my Instagram and that you may use on your show notes, um, I've featured work by uh, Phoenix artist uh, Mary Burroughs who made the love vase that I absolutely adore. And then I have a friend who's making uh these brown ceramic vases by hand. And I think her work is amazing too. Her name's Katie Hulbert. And I, I would just love to be able to collaborate with people who um, are also part of a, a local artisan uh, craftsperson movement. I think that there's definitely a move towards simplicity. Um, and even though one of the things that I love about flowers is the ability to accumulate masses of abundance and I love the idea of abundance Um, there's certainly a time and place for um, for simplicity as well and I'm trying to incorporate both of those aspects into my work I love that you're doing this and uh, you're not alone I've spoken with florists 
who are also doing collaborations with ceramic artists in their area, um, local makers, and then also a few people who are dusting off their uh, potter's wheel and kiln from art school and saying, well, I guess I could make my own vases uh, to showcase my own my flowers. So I call that all slow pottery. And I think it's very closely aligned with slow flowers. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, yeah, that's wonderful. I, I'm probably not going to pick up the potter's wheel myself. <laughs> my, son is, my son is starting um, to go back into the studio next month, and I'm really excited to see what he produces. That's right. You just get an in-house artist to, to <laughs> realize your vision. <laughs> uh, well, Debbie, thank you so much for giving us a snapshot of Arizona and, of course, sharing the love with a lot of people that you're collaborating with by, by mentioning them. Um, I will make sure that in our show notes, when we sh- we'll share some of your photos, including some with the, these vases, mention who the farmers are, and then also make sure people know how to find and follow you on social media so they can start a friendship if they haven't found you already. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this, Deborah. And thank you for the opportunity. And I will see you in Minnesota in July. Awesome. Awesome. Here's to a great 2019. Thanks a lot. Oh, same to you. Thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. Thank okay, you. Bye. so much for joining me on this slow flowers journey seeking new and inspiring voices people with passion heart commitment and expertise to share with you i hope today's episode gave you at least one inspiring insight or tip to apply to your floral enterprise what you gain will be multiplied as you pay it forward and help someone else Our final sponsor thanks today goes out to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. The Slow Flowers Summit is five months away, so please save three dates on your calendar as you plan your travel to St. Paul, Minnesota. First, Our bonus flower farm tours and slow flowers dinner on the farm take place on Sunday, June 30th. Then on Monday, July 1st, we will all gather at the PICA event space for day one of the summit, followed by Tuesday, July 2nd, where we will tour the Twin Cities Flower Exchange as it's swimming in locally grown flowers. I can't wait to see you there. Ticket sales continue with a special Slow Flowers member discount at $375. So please make your way to slowflowersummit.com to learn all about the many opportunities to join us. From flower farm tours and dinner on a flower farm to business and branding presentations to interactive and inspiring design sessions, all created to serve you. Sign up to receive updates at slowflowersummit.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 402,000 times by listeners like you. Yes, this past week, we surpassed an epic milestone of more than 400,000 listener downloads. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. We have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, 
The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.